thank you. You just, you love me for my jokes, don't you? That's it. Well, I do have a couple jokes for you this morning. Um, my wife actually gave me these. They're things children wrote to God, okay? And so, one of them here, you can see the handwriting and everything right there. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. <laughs> it works with my brother Larry. It works with my brother and then signed Larry. Next one. We read in school that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did it, so I bet he stole your idea. <laughs> Sincerely, Donna. I like this one. Dear God, if you let the dinosaurs not be extinct, we would not have a country. You did the right thing. Jonathan. Isn't that sweet? Wow. Well, we're, gonna, we're starting a new series today, a five-week series on God's guidance. And the way we're going to do it, we're going to um, not really do topical messages so much as look at five passages in the Bible of stories that illustrate how God guides us. And we all need God's guidance, no question about that. Uh, have, have any of you seen the movie Back to the Future 2? Do you remember uh, Biff from 2015 takes a book of the history of sporting events and the results back to Biff in 1955? So 1955 Biff is able to make all the right bets to become extremely wealthy because what? He knew the future. He knew what was coming. And um, wouldn't it be nice if you can make all of your decisions based upon some certain things about the future that you already know? that you're already certain of. Well, we don't, we don't get that too often. Sometimes prophetic words give us some clarity. But um, we do have a God who does know the future, who promises to lead us. And He promises to give us His guidance. Isaiah 48, 17 says this. It says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. And who directs you in the way you should go. So he not only teaches us what's best for us, but he directs us in how to go where, which way we should go in life. So that's an incredible promise. And um, it, it, it's something that should undergird our thinking in every, everyday life. In our thinking and all the decisions we have to make because there's so many decisions and so the question would be, how do we find that leading in, in the midst of all the decisions we have to make in life? And I, I've broken types of decisions down into three categories. The first category I just simply call you choose, because there's so many things that God says, well, you decide, blue shirt, red shirt, decide. What shirt are you going to wear today? What are you going to have for breakfast? I mean, as long as it's healthy and, and flows with, with a healthy lifestyle. God's saying, I, I don't care if you eat oatmeal or, or whatever. Eat, eat, you choose what you're going to eat. And so many other things in life on a daily basis, you know, I'm going to go for a walk. Do I go to Coleraine Park or Farbuck Warner? You know, you just get to decide those. You don't need to have God show you. Now, some people actually do think that God should show us everything like that. And sometimes it might be that God's going to say, uh, no, don't go to Farbach Warner. 
go to Coleraine Park. And you go to Coleraine Park and you bump into somebody and you get to minister to them. So if God speaks, then you follow whatever he says. But I love the story of the guy that um, wore one blue sock and one red sock one day. And someone asked him, they said, oh, would you get dressed in the dark? And he said, no, I prayed about what socks to wear. And God told me to wear one blue and one red. Now, that's funny, folks, okay? That's supposed to be a joke. Um, but uh, you, you don't have to really boil it down to that level. There are a lot of decisions that unless God breaks in and says, no, don't do that, do this, you just make those decisions and you move on with your life. But the second level of decisions that we all have to make, I would call values-based decisions. And these are decisions that might seem like they're not that important, but when you add them up, they have a tremendous impact on our lives. And so many of them, we just allow to be made based on circumstances rather than based upon values. And so one thing we have to do in order to find God's guidance is begin to understand some biblical values and then apply those to our daily lives and decision-making. For instance, how busy is my family life? How busy do we want it to be? Are we just going to let our kids sign up for absolutely everything that they hear about? They're going to get to play basketball and hockey and soccer and every, every other sport out there and be part of the band and the chess club and the debate team. Are we going to allow that or are we going to have some values around that? And how busy are mom and dad going to be? We're going to have some values around that. Other decisions that would be like values-based decisions, who are going to be my closest friends? And what am, what am I looking for in friendship? Because you know your closest friends influence you more than you think. So who are going to, that would be a values-based thing. How important is church life to me? And since Jordan was up here, should I force my kid to go to youth group, to student ministry? And as Wilson said a couple weeks ago, and I think Jordan might have said this a week ago, I would echo, yes, you should. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you should just tell them, hey, look, in our family, this is what we do. And so you're going. And if you have a decent relationship with them, they're, they're going to be okay with that, okay? They might kick and scream a little bit at first, but they're going to be good with that. All right, how will we handle our money should we buy a new car and go into debt? Should we buy an old car? There are a lot of decisions like that that you just really have to have some solid values in your life that will enable you to make those daily and, and those just life decisions. But the third type of decision I would call crossroad decisions. And crossroads decisions are decisions that you know this is going to have a clear impact on my future. And that would be something like, should I go to college or not? And if so, where should I go? And if so, what should I study? What career should I pursue? Which job should I take? How, you know, how many children do we want to have if we get married? You know, uh, we're praying about that. God show us. How many children do we want to have? These types of decisions um, have a, a tremendous impact on our lives. And it's clear to all of us that they have a tremendous impact. Because they're big decisions that we know have a big impact. And I, and I think what we do is we tend to focus more on those crossroad decisions when we're talking about God's guidance. And we, we have a tendency to ignore the values-based decisions that we make in everyday life. And we have a tendency just to allow those decisions to kind of like be made by our circumstances, which, by the way, is never going to end up good. Just circumstances 
or it's, it's not, it's not going to, you're, you're not going to have, you're going to end up with uh, situations in your life that are really counterproductive to what God wants to do in your life if you just allow circumstances to decide for you. So I have a point I want to make in all of this, and, and it's this. <clears throat> I would say this is a key to the whole thing. When we live by godly values in our daily lives, the crossroads decisions will fall into place naturally. Okay, you get that. When every day I'm living with godly values, and, and that includes I love God, the song I, All I Want Is You, that includes I want to see the kingdom of God charging ahead and advancing, and I, and I want to give myself to that. It includes that. But then when, when on a daily basis I'm living with godly values, then when those big crossroad decisions come and you have to make them, it's, it's just sometimes it's just not a big deal at all. I mean, Lori and I picked up and moved from Michigan to Champaign, Illinois. We had four children. The oldest was 15. The youngest was three. No job prospects in Champaign. We moved to Champaign, Illinois. And we, we were not loaded with cash to, you know, just to throw away to do this. But by the time we came to make that decision, it was not a big decision. Because we had made several other decisions leading up to it that were all based upon our values that say, we want everything God has for us. We want to be where God wants us to be. We, we want to learn everything God has for us to learn and grow. And, and so all of those decisions just led up to this decision. Well, the next step is we resign where we, the job we have, and we move to Champaign. And so when, when, when you begin to live that way based upon values on a daily basis in your daily life, then the big decisions just seem to, to have a way of taking care of themselves almost. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 really supports this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So trust in the Lord all your heart, your own understanding. What he means by that is imperfect human thinking, because although we are new creations and we have a new identity, our minds are not yet fully renewed. And so we still have a lot of old ways of thinking. And he says, you really got to be careful. Don't just slip into assuming that the way you've already looked at this part of life, the way you've always looked at this uh, aspect of your life is right. He says, you don't, don't lean on that, lean on God. And so when he says, when you do that and you're seeking his will, he will show you which path to take. Now, what are godly values? Uh, j just to give you some idea of what I'm thinking about here when I talk about godly values, uh, Psalm 15 uh, is just loaded with a number of godly values. It starts off saying, who can, who can uh, dwell in God's presence? Who can ascend his holy hill and be with him? And then he lists all these characteristics. One of them is integrity. You know what integrity means? That means that God's truth is consistent in every area of my life. I don't have a God life, God life, God life, and then my personal little space where I get to do whatever I want or I get to violate all the principles of the other areas of my life. What it means is that throughout my whole being, I am integrous. There's a consistency in, in every part of my heart and life. Second value, serving others, just out of God's heart for love for them. Be willing to sacrifice to serve others. 
I did a um, funeral service this week for um, two members of our church's father, Karen Hunter and Barb Lewis. His name was Jack Korsmeyer. And one of the characteristics that everybody talked about with him was his willingness to serve others. That he would drop what he was doing if you had a need and go help you with it. Now, I didn't hear this from them, but I kind of picture he's cutting the grass and he gets a phone call and someone needs help, turns the, I'm assuming a riding mower, turns it off, gets off, walks to his car and goes to help the person. Or you're watching a ball game and it's an exciting part of the game. You get a call, someone needs help, turn the TV off, you get in your car and you go to help them. So that, that's, that is a value. Do we have that as a value that I'm going to serve other people and it's, it's going to be even when it's inconvenient for me, I'm going to serve other people. Serving, integrity, serving. Speak truth in your heart. That's another characteristic in Psalm 15. Speak truth in your heart. What that means is the smile on your face is also in your heart. Okay? What that means is what, what you're thinking about and how you're viewing other people is, is with God's truth. And, and there's not like one thing you're presenting and another thing in your life and in your heart. In fact, whatever you're trying to present is not going to come across as true because the Bible says, Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so all of our expressions come out of our heart. And so he's saying here, keep your heart focused on God's truth. Keep it right. Keep it pure. Um, no slander or gossip. That means you do not take joy in another person's failure. It doesn't hold grudges, so you forgive easily. Keeps his word even when it hurts. This is a big one. Keep, we need to be people who keep our word even when it hurts. That means that you agreed to come and help your friend, let's say move, on Saturday morning. And it's going to take all day. And then right after you agreed to that, another friend of yours came up and said, hey, I've got tickets to the game Saturday. Actually, I have a free parking pass. And actually, I have this coupon for free meals at a restaurant. Here, I'm going to give you the tickets. Why don't you and your wife just go down and spend the whole day downtown you know, with the game? What do you do? Well, the last thing you do is you just don't show up. I mean, that, that's, that's a lack of integrity. You've committed yourself to that. Now, it would be okay on my thinking to call your friend and say, hey, Joe, how's it going? How many people are coming Saturday? And if he says, oh, man, I've got 15 people coming, then you might be able to say, well, hey, do you mind if I back out since you have a good crew coming? But if he says, well, there's just you and me and two other guys, then you say no to the tickets and you keep your word. And you show up and you, and you, you see, even though that might hurt in the moment, in the long run, it provides such a solid foundation in your life, and you become known as a person people can depend on. You become known as a person of integrity and truth, and, and people will believe the things that you say. It, it increases your influence massively. So you swear to your own heart, but you still keep it. Um, one of the, one of, a major time that happened in my life I had graduated from college, I was looking for a teaching job, and I had contact, God really directed all of this with a Christian school in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. I went there, interviewed, they offered me a job, I signed a contract. Well, I'm back in my hometown in Pennsylvania before I actually moved to Cuyahoga Falls, and one of the school board members from the local school district came to me and said, hey, I've got a job for you. 
and told me how much it would pay, and I would have made twice as much money if I had stayed there. And um, I said, but I already signed a contract with these other people. And the school board member said, ah, that's no big deal. Just call them and tell them you can't come. And I just thought, you know, no, I can't do that. I signed a contract. And just think if, if, I had done, if I had done what this person advised me to do, if I had broken my word with them, I would have had more money. I would have lived at home for probably a couple more years and saved a lot of money. But I would have never met my wife. I, I mean, so much of my life would have been just a totally different direction. And it, it all came down just to the simple value of keep your word. And so that's so important. But be generous towards those in need and uh, don't be controlled by the love of money. These are just some values. There are other values in the Bible. This is why we need to be reading the Bible. This is, this is it right here. And we're just saying, oh, God, speak to me. What we mean by that is, one of the things we mean by that is, God, show me where my thinking isn't right. Show me where I was raised this way, and I've always assumed that that was right. Show me, show me where I'm wrong and things like that so that I can adjust my value system to your value system. And then when we live that way, day in and day out, big decisions, they, they just happen. It's, it's almost like that. They just happen. Now, I'm, I'm going to share with you five principles. I've already, I've already gotten into one of them, but uh, five principles of finding God's guidance today. So the first one is what I've been talking about here, and that is let the, let the Bible be your guide I think I used the word guardrails there. There are some issues that where the Bible is your guardrails because there's, there's breadth here. You can choose from here to here and stay, stay within that, and you're good. But um, more than that, there are places where the Bible says, don't do that, do this. And so we allow the Bible to inform our lives and to be the guiding, guiding thing for us. And this is often in conflict with our natural understanding. Often it is. Because remember, our natural understanding is not yet, our minds are not yet fully renewed. And we need to know this, God will not ask us, nor will he approve of us doing something that's clearly forbidden in Scripture. And I've had people tell me before, well, I prayed about it, and I know the Bible says this, but God told me it's okay. And, you know, that, that's, you, you can just be certain, you don't even have to pray about it. Now, you might want to talk to a friend about it to make sure you're under, a godly person, to make sure you're understanding Scripture accurately. That's important. But if it's clear and it's accurate and it's confirmed, then you don't even need to think more about that. Things like this, okay? Let's say you, you are in massive need of money. You go to the store, and as you're walking in the store, you notice that there's a little sign that says the security cameras are broken. I know they'd never put a sign up that says that, but <laughs> let's say they did, okay? Okay. <laughs> And you're standing at the cash register checking out, and the clerk gets a call, and they have to leave and go to another room, but they leave the cash drawer open. And there's nobody else there, no one looking around. I just want to say that is not God providing for your needs, okay? You, you need to know that. No matter, how much, no matter how many little coincidences come together to make that moment, it's not God providing for you because we don't steal. We trust him. And, and we work hard so we have money to give, not to steal. That's what the Bible says. So there are all these different uh, things just like that that, um, that, that we need to you know, be honest with our taxes. God's word says it's not wise to marry an unbeliever. 
Did you know that? Now, I'd take that a little bit further, and I would say, um, if, if you are full bore passionate for God, and you're pressing into everything, then you better marry someone who's not just a believer, but they're also full bore going for God, passionate for the things of God. And meeting Lori at the beginning of the service when uh, Jordan asked us, you know, to think of something we're thankful for and then cheer, I was thinking of meeting her. And we met in May at a Bible conference, which I went to with friends I had met because I was living in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Would have never met these friends if I was living back in my hometown. And we wrote to each other for two and a half months, probably one to two letters a week. And you know, when you're writing to someone that you don't even know if you ever see them again, it's not like dating, you know, where you're trying to put on your good front and you're really trying to impress the other person. No pressure like that. It's just kind of like, here's where my heart's at. Here's what I'm looking for in life. And, and so we're communicating that way at a real core heart level so that when I did see her the middle of July, I had a very good idea of who she was. And I, I knew she was a person of character. I knew she was a person who loved God is probably far more than I do, loves the Bible, wants to give her life to serve God because she told me she was committed to going to Bolivia to work at a jungle clinic before we met, but uh, the clinic got shut down by the government and so she couldn't go. So I knew, okay, this girl's really serious about pursuing God and uh, commitment and faithfulness. I saw all those things in her. In fact, the night before we met, I sat behind Lori. We were sitting on this side of the auditorium. The speaker's up here. And she was one seat in front of me and one seat to my left. So I had to look right past her to see the speaker. And uh, I, I have no idea what the guy spoke about. <laughs> I spent my whole time just looking at her. And... Um, but I was impressed because she was taking really good notes on the message. And, and again, I had no idea what the guy's talking about, but I was impressed that she did know, and she was writing it all down. In fact, I'll bet you she still has those notes. I'll bet in a pinch she could find those notes. And I, I was just, so it, it was like a character decision as much as me thinking she was beautiful, but it was character and biblical values that were in her life. And, and, and we need to pray for every one of our kids that they'll find someone like that, that they'll be that person who's living with biblical character and values, and then they'll find someone like that as well to marry. But it was, it was values-based, the whole thing. And so Joshua 1.8 says this. It says, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So in other words, read the Bible, live according to it, and God's going to bless your life, which includes leading your life. Now, second principle I want to introduce uh, we're going to read a passage of Scripture here in a moment, Acts 16. But um, the background for this passage we're going to read is this. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church at Antioch to, to go on a missionary journey into what, what would now be central Turkey. So they, they have this young guy going with them, John Mark. They get on a ship and they sail to Pamphylia which is, you know, not, not real far, but um, dangerous sailing and all, and all of that. And so they get to Pamphylia, which is where they're going to start their, their journey. And right in Pamphylia, as they're just starting the whole thing, Mark says, this is too much. I, I quit. 
I'm going back. I can't, I can't handle this. And so he, he goes back. You know, that would be the equivalent of us sending a team of people to Africa and you're counting on that team and you've been working with that team. And if you've never been in a foreign culture, you really have to have a team that is together. You can't have people there that are selfish-minded or immature. They, they've got to be together. And so we get to Africa, let's say, and we're walking out of the airport. One of the key team members says, you know what? This was a mistake. I'm going home. All right, the next time, do you think I'd take them along? Probably not. Well, that's what happens. They're going on their second missionary journey now. And uh, Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. So he's like this shepherding, encouraging guy. He says, oh, come on, let's give Mark another chance. Paul says, no, this is too important. He's not ready for this. He can't, he's not going to stick with it. And so they have this pretty sharp disagreement between the two of them. And Paul and Barnabas split up. So Barnabas takes Mark and they go off to Crete. And, uh, and you hear about Mark later because he does mature and he does, and Paul does speak of him very favorably later in, in uh, one of the epistles. But, but uh, Paul and Silas, now they go on the missionary journey back to the churches that Paul and Barnabas had started previously. And so the, the first thing I want to say is this, this is my second principle. And just in light of that background, I've already said this, keep your daily life right, okay? Keep your daily life right. God, God, godly values-based living. And Mark was not mature enough or just didn't know or I don't know what it was. I think he probably just wasn't ready for this. It was just, it was more than he was ready for. And so he, he, he did not keep his word. He became part of the team and he didn't realize how important being a part of the team is. And he didn't realize how important and what the impact has when someone breaks the team, breaks up with the team. And so keep your daily life right. Part of that is being patient because God's timing is as important as God's call on your life. Obviously, Mark had a passion to, to advance the kingdom of God. And obviously, at the beginning, he wanted to go. He wanted to be there. But this was the, I believe this was the wrong timing for him. And the right call at the wrong time, we just heard this in a short message Wilson played in School of Kingdom Ministry last week, the right call at the wrong time can be a curse because it puts you in a position you're not ready for. And, and God's preparing you for that position and you're growing into it and you know that and so you, you're, you're eager to go and you're trying to convince everybody I'm ready for this but you're not ready yet. And so daily life Keeping your daily life right is where God works in our hearts to prepare us for the thing he has for us. And Philippians 2.13 says this, it says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so this God working in you is your, keep your daily life right. Be patient, wait for the right time because when the right time comes, it will release uh, great power in your life and in, in, into the kingdom. So here's the passage. It says, uh, Paul and Silas passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. All right, let's stop right there. So here, 
they, they said, they originally they said, let's go back and visit the churches that we already preached at. And now they're headed up towards those churches. And Paul says, hey, look, there's this whole territory over here. Let's go over there. And God said, no, 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 Paul, no. Stay on mission. But, but guys like Paul, they're, they're excited. They're energetic. They want to they conquer the whole world for Jesus. And so they, they're, they're still traveling up into Turkey, and they come to another. And he said, hey, this whole region here hasn't heard the gospel yet. Let's go there. And God says, nope, 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 not the right place to go. Stay on mission. And so it took incredible um, patience for them to do that. But it goes on, it says, there are Troas. Now in a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's the third principle. Embrace your place in God's plan for the world. Embrace your, if, if you want to know God's leading for who you should marry, for what job you should take, for where you should live, then embrace your part in God's mission to reach the world. And uh, th this is so significant. It needs to be first priority in life. And then we need to understand that in fulfilling that mission, each one of us are incredibly significant. You are gifted, as Sarah was saying earlier. You're gifted, and you're called to be part of a team. And, and, and so, you know, up the, raise the water level in our own hearts and minds and say, I, I do need to, I am, I am part of this team, and, and I'm significant, and I'm gifted, and I do need to jump in. I think that Mark didn't get that. I think that he thought, well, they don't need me. You know, look at this, Paul and Barnabas, they can go on without me, and this is too hard anyway. And so that was something he missed on, but we need to embrace the place God has for us in extending his gospel to the world. Then fourth, let God choose your path in life and, uh, and wanting to press in. And, and God, God keeps redirecting him, redirecting him. But you know what Paul does each time? He says, okay, all right, then let's move on. How about here, God? Let's go here. Nope, 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 not there either. And so Paul um, was just so willing to patiently allow God to direct them to where he wanted them to go. And so each of us has to be willing to go a different direction than maybe we had set our hearts on or planned on. And that's a, that's a huge thing. Uh, Abraham had a promise from God that his son Isaac was going to father nations. And yet God said, no, I want you to give him back to me. And there are times when we have a dream that God's given us we have a vision God's given us, and God says, I want you to lay that down because I want you to be clear on what this is all about. And you have to, you have to lay it down so that you can really know exactly uh, you know, what it is I have for you. We need to recognize this. Every open door is not a call from God. Okay? Every good idea doesn't mean God's calling you or me or this church to do it. A lot of good ideas, a lot of good ministries, but God's many times He just says, "Nope, not that, not that." This, and to find God's leading, we have to have that as one of the solid principles in our heart and in our lives. By the way, when they left um, Mysia and walked to Troas, four hundred miles through mountains in Turkey, 
Four, with, I mean, these are dangerous places. You, you can get waylaid there. In 400 miles they walked before they actually got clarity as to where God was taking them. Isn't that incredible? So patience is such a big part of this. Patience, endurance, perseverance, godly principles to live by on a daily basis. So you go on and... Um, um, you see here, expect God to speak. That's the final point. Expect God to speak he, through his word, through the Bible, through dreams and visions and prophetic voices. He's going to speak to us and you have to expect that. And you keep going that 400 mile walk before they heard God speak. All they heard from God twice was no. And then how many, I mean, 400 miles through mountains. It would take you months to do that. And they're, they're trekking along in the Keep going, knowing God's going to speak. So some of us might be in that state right now where you've heard God say no to this or no to that, and you're still, you're just pushing ahead, you're pushing ahead, you're waiting for God to speak. And I just want to speak into you encouragement, you know, be, be faithful, don't give up, God will speak, keep trusting him, focus on your daily life. Keep your daily life right. Values-based living on a daily basis, loving God with all of your heart. And so when we do hear from God, when God does speak, we need to check that out with other godly people, spiritually mature people, spiritual fathers and mothers. You know, I, I've literally seen it happen where someone gets an idea and they've gone to their unsaved friends and checked the idea out and come back and say, this is of God. Well, who'd you talk to about it? Well, I talked to some you know, people at work about it, and I'm sure it's, well, did you get godly counsel on this? So you, it has to be godly counsel, spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers who have some experience in life. And uh, when that happens and you get that and it all comes together, you get peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that word rule there means serve as the umpire. So let God's peace be the umpire in your heart. And he's going to say ball or strike. He's going to say yes or no. And the peace we get is a big part of that. Now peace alone isn't it. I mean, I've, heard, I've had, seen people that say, well, I have peace about this. Well, but it's unbiblical, but I have peace about it. Well, is any, you know, it's so, here's kind of like the flow of what I see happening. Then we're going to end with this. Oftentimes, finding God's leading starts with a desire. I saw Lori is really, really gorgeous. That was the first thing I saw, okay? But then I, I kept watching, and I saw the other. I wouldn't have married her just because of that. I saw the other things, too, but there's a desire. You check it out with Scripture. Is it biblical? You know, is it based on godly values? And you look for prophetic confirmation, Look for dreams and visions and prophetic words that people will give to us. And you get confirmation of godly counsel. Now that's throughout. The godly counsel should be happening all along the way. It's not just one step. But um, you get peace ultimately when the, all of these things line up and then God opens the door and you step through it. Does that make sense? Okay, so... Um, you know, I, in the last 30 seconds that I have here, um, prophetic direction, the reason we need to get counsel about that is we don't always hear perfectly ourselves. We don't remember the things we hear perfectly. 
And we often get so emotionally vested in a desire that we have that it's hard for us to really interpret a prophetic word accurately. And so we, we check it out with, with spiritual fathers and mothers and, and other team members. And, and that's what they did. It says as soon as Paul had this dream, we, we packed up to move concluding that God was leading us there. What that means is concluding, that means Paul got up and said, hey guys, I had a vision. Here's what it was. So he presented it to them and they all interacted around that and they concluded this, this is what God's saying. And so th- that's how we handle those as well. So um, yeah, I want to leave you just with that foundational thought that keep your daily life based upon val- godly values living and the big decisions that you hit are not going to be hard to work through. Okay. So Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you are there to guide us. We can trust you with that. In Jesus' name. Amen.